Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, welcome uh, today, everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us, and we're so grateful that Ann Bednar is with us today. Ann, thanks for driving all the way down the hill on your skateboard to come over here. <laughs> glad I didn't get injured. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, super excited about this episode. We're all about preserving families and preserving uh, preserving and strengthening our families. And, and so, Ann, that's why you're here today. And so, once again, thanks for coming. I'm excited about this. Yeah, we're so excited you're here. We have watched you and Jeff and your cute family from afar, and it just reminds us so much of our family that we just admire you guys so much. And you've been through a lot. We're going to talk about that in a little while. You guys have had some challenges, ups and downs, but you're just amazing. You're full of faith. You're full of optimism, and we just really admire you. So we wanted you to come and talk about how to preserve families and inspire other people. So, Well, thank you. So to start off, Anne, will you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe... Your, how you grew up, maybe your profession. Sure. If you did, you always want to have a big family. Like, just kind sure. of give us a quick overview of yourself. Yeah. So I uh, first, I just have to create a visual here. Uh, a few nights ago, when when Mark texted to confirm that we were, you know, gonna get together and and discuss how we can strengthen families, um, the call or the text came in right as I was Jeff and I were cleaning a mosaic of poopy diaper mess, <laughs> and I was hollering into Sam probably a little louder than I should have to get his treatment going. And no one had practiced their instruments. Uh, the, the dinner was still on the table because people had probably had too many pieces of Halloween candy. And I thought, I don't know that I am the one for this podcast. And you um, actually will fit perfectly because you just described our life. Right, when we were... I felt like the, the overindulgent yes mom from earlier in the day really paid the price and the hormonal <laughs> angry mom came out later in the evening. But but I'm excited to talk about this because well, I, I love it because you're real. To... You're everyone can relate to it. We've all we all live that daily. So yeah, yeah. no learned... facades here. No, <laughs> <laughs> I've learned so much from you, so I'm excited to, to continue that. But I uh, I grew up in Salt Lake, and I um, attended the University of Utah. I loved sports and was hoping to play tennis up there, and so I walked on and went on a mission, served in Chile. Um, but prior to that, I played tennis up there for a couple years and then um, came back and met a wonderful best friend in the nursing program. And she ended up dating Jeff and then ultimately lined us up later. Oh, so wow, she's actually cool. one of the truest friends I've ever had. She gave a great assist there. That's right. That's right. So we got married and quickly moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where Jeff started his PhD program in organizational behavior. And I worked as a NICU nurse, and um, we kind of started our family there, had a couple of darling little girls, and then found out we were expecting our third and on-the-job market, and had a choice between London and and BYU, and we were excited about London. Wow. (laughs) I would be too. (laughs) And we're moving forward in that direction and just felt constrained the other way. So we ended up taking the job at BYU. And shortly after, learned of our son Sam's health challenges in utero. Uh, his organs were reversed and had several anomalies that they were concerned about. Wasn't sure if he would even survive. Um, and so we felt secure in our decision to move to Utah. And he was born in Salt Lake before we mm. moved to Provo. 
Um, and then we moved to Provo and a few years later had a, a couple more little girls, um, three years apart. And then surprise twins, Mac Ooh. and Eleanor to, to end the, the caboose. Yeah. Another fun thing we have in common. I know. The twin, the twin, thing. The twin thing is a true bond. It is. Oh, yeah. It's so fun, isn't it? Yes. But we never, ever anticipated uh, coming back to Utah. And I'm incredibly grateful that we did. It's been a beautiful place to raise our family and and I feel like God guided us here, guided awesome. our guided our steps for sure. So awesome. no question about it. So, Anne, what was your upbringing like? What was your family of origin like? Did you have a big family? Did you want a big family? Like, tell us about your childhood. <laughs> yeah. So I was the youngest of five. I have three brothers and a sister, and uh, my parents were incredible parents. Somehow they managed to find a balance between high expectations and high love, which as I'm now a parent of my own children, I realize that's a really hard balance to find. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they had high expectations for us to live up to the name that we carried, but also more importantly, to live up to the name of Jesus Christ. And I was grateful for that, but I also knew that those expectations behind those expectations was love uh, and an incredible Mm -hmm. amount of love and unconditional love and, um, and I'm so grateful for that. I think about my mom. Every morning she would offer a prayer over the breakfast and I would nearly fall asleep in my Cheerios because <laughs> she, it was lengthy. And she would bless everyone that she could think of. And I knew that she felt that power of the prayer of prayer in her life. And she knew the importance of connecting with heaven in that way. Uh, she also made every occasion so special for each one of us. She whether it was a test day or our birthdays or holidays, she was all about the presentation and, and all about helping us feel love. And I mm. knew that she loved us because of those expressions of love. I'm actually not that great at, <laughs> at those expressions, but but she, uh, she even, in fact, still calls me when I am hosting an event and she'll offer to provide a table runner and a centerpiece. Uh, so I'm still mastering the art that my mom right. so beautifully displayed. But Aww. and when I think about my dad, he um, he was always present. He played basketball with me, with me on the court. He took me out to work on my serves. He attended every one of my games and matches. And any time that I would call him, even if he was in the middle of a, a hospital administration meeting or a stake meeting. Um, he would answer it. And, and we as his children knew that we were his priority, which, which is rare. And I saw the joy in his service in the church, which I think is important for us as, as parents to exude that joy. And I knew that that was important to him. Mm-hmm. And so they lived their testimonies. I would, I would say that most often we, we did the things like scripture study and family home evening, but we fell out of the habit sometimes, but I knew that they found joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm so grateful for that. I uh, I developed a great love for all things athletic, all things active through my brothers who were I was closest in age to, and we'd play basketball out in the front and head my mom's geraniums, and she'd get so <laughs> de-head, I guess, my mom's geraniums. Decapitate the Decapitate geraniums. geraniums, yes. And she would get so upset, but I've been able to incorporate that that love of all things active with my own kids. And I feel like that's a unifying uh, force for us and our family. I've loved to play basketball with my kids and soccer and tennis. And, and it reminds me of my own childhood where I developed relationships with my siblings that, that now last, you know, as we're, we're grown and raising our own kids. So I, 
I look back on my childhood with fondness for sure. It's really cool, Anne, to see hear you say that and to recognize from what we know of you and Jeff that that you do that and that that was something that was passed down from your parents that now you carry on to the next generation and then they'll carry it on down to their children. Super awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Did you always want to have a big family? You know, it's funny. That's a funny question because Jeff, coming from a family of three, was content with a smaller family. Uh And I just assume we'd lean towards my end just because... Sometimes that tends to happen. <laughs> right. And have maybe five kids. And then somehow, him being content with three, we ended up with seven. <laughs> so I I always wanted kids. It was always a part of my, uh, my desire and my deepest identity to be a mother. And I'm so grateful we have the kids that we do most days. Some days it's tough. But, um, I always tell people, I chose my wife, but I didn't pick any of our kids, right? That's right. But you learn to love them, that's for sure. That's right. But I do think there's value in living in a large family. I think Absolutely. back that just understanding that I wasn't the center of the universe, that there were other people that, that were important and, and factored into how the, di- the dynamics of our family worked, but also that, that um, each member was so important to make it work. So, And I, I've seen that in your own family as I've watched you raise your kids. It, just the unique love that they have for each other. And they're really incredible contributing members of society, I think, because they probably learned that. We were sad. We were sad as our kids grew up and started leaving to know that, okay, now people are going to have their own room. We didn't like that because (laughs) there's just something that comes from cooperation and sharing and working together as a team. And anyway. Did many share rooms? They all they did. All yeah. did. Except so, we only had one son, so of course he always got his got own room. But yeah, the girls all shared until left. the older ones left, and then they <laughs> then there was room for them to move into their own space. But, but I have to ask Ann before we go on, you know, because I know Jeff is quite athletic and competitive. But who can take who in tennis? Oh, is it even we, a contest? We don't need to answer. That. <laughs> okay, it's pretty obvious. He he demolishes me on the ski hill. I mean, he it is such a pretty sight to watch. But there are some sports that I can. Yeah. Hold my own on then nice. tennis. And tennis is one. Okay. Maybe even basketball. I was going to say, I, I can see you in basketball taking him as well. So, okay. So, Anne, with all of your kids playing sports and musical, they, they know they all have musical talents and lessons and all the things that you guys are involved in as a family. Too much. <laughs> it just is because you have so many people. Yeah. But how do you how do you guys preserve the family? That's kind of our mantra here is preserving families. How do you preserve time together as a family? And what do you guys do, your traditions and things like that, to build yeah. unity and love in your family? I love that question because it is tough, especially in today's time that we're living in. But... Um, I would say that we could actually be a little bit better in this department in creating structured time to talk about spiritual things. But what we've felt impressed to do in this season of our lives is to carve out time to use the time to study the scriptures as an opportunity to maybe do a little bit more one-on-one or small group time. So we've actually, instead of waking up early, like a lot of families do, we have little individual time. So in the morning, uh, I'll over yogurt parfaits with the twins, we'll watch a video about Jesus. Or at, in the evening before the, the forgotten middles go to bed, Jeff will <laughs> will take the time to read the Book of Mormon with Jane and Sam and Claire and talk to Jane as she prepares for her upcoming baptism in a year. Mm. Um, another way that we do it with our older ones is capitalizing on those small moments with each of them. So when I'm doing their hair or when we're driving to school or a practice out in 
Spanish Fork will take that time to actually either listen to a snippet from the Come Follow Me and have a discussion about it or, or really talk about things that matter. So I feel like while it's not always easy to have a set time every day, it's we somehow make it a priority to carve out that that snippet of time to, to talk about things that actually matter. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I wish we had had that wisdom back when we were, we were always forcing 5 a.m. Like, get to get our two-year-olds up, three-year-olds Well, I don't know. Up, I think there's know, wisdom in that, too, I don't right? Know. I, I don't, don't know. know. Because I love that, that it's individualized for them on their level. Because I'm sure our three-year-olds weren't getting much out of when we're probably talking to the teenagers at 5 in the morning. I guarantee our five our teenagers aren't getting much out at 5 a.m. Yeah. either. So. I think every family does it different and during I different stages, right? I love that. Another thing, though, that I, I've been thinking about is we Jeff has kind of an intense calling right now, and, and we both try to involve our kids in those callings when it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. I think you've both been benefactors of of watching us when it probably wasn't so appropriate to bring our kids. But, <laughs> no, um, it's always like, appropriate. Like tithing settlement. With all yes. the, the or or when on. Sam interrupted the testimony <laughs> meeting a few, a few weeks ago. But no, that was with awesome. His laughter. We loved it. Um, but I think just involving them in, in what we're involved with in the community and in our callings. Um, and then on a maybe a little bit more macro level, it's interesting because Jeff and I approach parenting and actual day-to-day, the way we approach life in very different ways and it's so easy to see those differences as as a source of conflict or a way that we can differ and and it can separate us or divide our approaches but i feel like we're our strongest as a family when we seek to blend those strengths of each other's and make something far better than we could with either one of our approaches so mm. um i feel like we try to do that i'm a little bit more chaotic and <laughs> embrace the fun and Jeff is a, is more structured and if we didn't have both sides I think it would be not as effective yeah. so I'm grateful for that it's so easy with a big family to to um feel like a it's a factory right like we change the diapers we <laughs> feed the kids we do whatever our chores like a and, yeah but I think they're just, all in this conveyor belt right yeah, in your... <laughs> conveyor belt but yeah. I think if you can carve out even simple small moments where where you do something fun or you look in their eyes and you recognize the color of the blue that they have or something funny that they say. Um, Another thing that we've been trying to be better at is as a couple creating intentional time together at night where our worlds can intersect and we can talk about the events of the day and what's going on at his work or in his calling. And then we can pray about the matters that are concerning us with each one of our kids. And um, it's easy to kind of squander that time, but we're trying harder to to make the most of that time so so, so Anna, what time of day is it when that actually happens for you in jail? it's way later than it should be yeah near midnight every yeah, night no, probably yeah. but yeah. um but we make it happen yeah. right before he turns on my box fan we pray and we we end the night and then he gets kid duty now, now that i've gotten through all the babies and nursing he's, he's got he's, he's got, got the graveyard night. shift he's got yeah. the graveyard shift yes that's awesome. i love it love it well that's so wise of you guys and one of the things that I love most about you is you are so eloquent, eloquent. You're an incredible writer. You're very gifted. For any of you that don't follow her on Instagram, she does a beautiful job. I love that you just take everyday things that you notice with your children, everyday activities, and you tie it into what we're studying and Come Follow Me that week, and you write about it in a way that I've never, I would never, that's just not my gift and talent. And so I read, I see things different through your eyes, and it has been such a blessing in my life. I might, I tell oh, my girls, you. follow, you got to follow <laughs> Anne, <laughs> because you just do a, such a beautiful job. Have you always been a scriptorian? Have you always 
love the scriptures like this? Have you always been an eloquent um, speaker and writer and gifted, or is this a, a new talent that you've kind of developed? Well, it's funny. I, I would actually say no. It hasn't been uh, something that I've always liked to do or even seen as a strength. I feel like I've struggled in the past to express myself, especially in written word, and find deeper meaning in the scriptures. I remember it was actually kind of a source of of contention in our marriage early on and that like we really wanted to to glean understanding from each other as we studied together and mm. I was always insecure in my interpretations of the scriptures I was trying to figure out what the heck was going on in the stories and Jeff had these like amazing golden nuggets and for some reason I just kind of took a back seat to that and I never saw that part of myself um until recently probably within the last few years mm. it's interesting because I um I, Jeff, when we were going through a rough time a few years ago during COVID, many were on lockdown, but we were on far, on lockdown for far longer with our son, Sam and his lungs. But Mm. I was pregnant with twins, incredibly sick and homeschooling four kids for two years and, um, just felt like I couldn't do it. Like, Mm. how am I going to make it through another day while keeping this crazy rambunctious toddler who had very little discipline because it I was at my max um, and I saw the benefit I reaped the benefits of that but um anyway I asked him for a blessing and in that blessing he counseled me to redouble my efforts um in scripture study and to improve and increase my relationship with my savior Jesus Christ through prayer and through journaling and I thought oh how am I going to do that but I did it. I did it. And I made, I carved out slivers of time every single day and I would combine it with vitamin D. I would find some place outside where I felt like I could commune with my heavenly father and I could find strength from those words. It was actually the the Old Testament of all books that I'd never really connected with in the past. But it was so beautiful to learn from those characters and to see a common story between us that could really bless me in my life at that point. And as I continued to do that every day, I found strength and I looked forward to that little sliver of time that really armed me with the power to withstand whatever I faced with my kids that day. So I'm really incredibly grateful for that. Um, Then later, I found myself having to publicize for my son's disease foundation online through Instagram. And I'd never Mm. really been active on Instagram. In fact, I don't want to be a reason that people come to Instagram, to be quite honest, but I... Um, I would share, you know, fundraising efforts or awareness events and, and it felt a little bit disingenuine and I thought I should start to share a little bit more about my family and a little bit about, about Sam and his disease so that people can connect, um, and learn. And through that, uh, several people were diagnosed and there were connections made that were really beautiful. And so I started to see the blessing and the asset that, that this social media platform could be. So anyway, I, I shared a little bit more and then, um, more recently, when I was diagnosed with cancer that we'll probably get to later, I felt impressed to continue to share my my journey and share my story through the insights that I gleaned from the Old Testament and how that really blessed my life and got me through a really difficult time. Um, it's, it's interesting because I feel like, and I think you've touched upon this in, in previous episodes, but I feel like the world is leaning away from from organized religion or from religious rituals in general 
And through this account, I feel like I found a way of expressing how those religious rituals really ground me Mm. and really keep me rooted in the things that matter and the things that bring me joy and and help me go on. So I feel like it's been a beautiful place to to share testimony. And people can take it or leave it, right? It's Yeah. Um, that's the beauty but, of social media, right? Mm-hmm. Is we can yeah. pick and choose what we want to follow. What we want to take in. Yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah. I know I get excited every time I see that you post. Oh, <laughs> you're so nice. Because it is a blessing when you can use social media and technology to bless the lives of other people and share your own experiences that so many people can relate to. Yeah. It's so funny it's because I feel journey. like... I forget scripture so, so easily. And, and I'll come back around to the next book of scripture and realize like, these are all new stories to me because I, I don't have a remembrance of them. So I'm, I'm hoping that this, this avenue can be a blessing for me as I, you know, experience more trials in life and come back to those words that I've written and, and that my kids can really glean from, from those stories. Yeah. Um, I know I had a time in my life where, I struggled silently with things, with some postpartum anxiety, and even bouts of really um, some sleep issues that were really hard, yeah. hard to hard to get through. And I would have really gleaned from someone online who was sharing how they made the scriptures more a part of those those trials and those those experiences. And I would have really appreciated that voice. So hopefully yeah. it can help just at least one person get through something hard that they're experiencing. So. Well, and as a busy mom with so many kids, how do you carve out the time? Where do you find time and how do you go about it? Do you, do you use references? Do you use other people's thing? Like, how do you study it? Or are you just digging in yourself? Yeah, it's funny. Like, tell, I, us, tell us, teach us like, how to scripture the, study well, the scriptures better. <laughs> like that, we're not like a 6 a.m. wake up. Again, we stay up way too late. But I, I feel like somehow I've been able to carve out little slivers of time. Like I'll, I'll take this morning, I, I created a little bike place in the garage and sent the kids down there praying that they didn't make too much of a mess um, and was able to to create a little sacred space for myself where I could think about something that mattered and, and listen to the scriptures. and Or I will, for my workout, I'll run. And while I run, I'll listen to a podcast. Mm-hmm. And then if something hits me in those scriptures that they are talking about, I'll go and I'll read the stories after for a sliver of time before the kids get home. Or I will, if it's chaotic and noisy, I'll say, hey, Liz, you're in charge for a minute. I need to recharge here and, and get my awesome. get my dose of the spirit. Awesome. Um, Love so those teenage easy, daughters, right. don't you? Yes, <laughs> I, know, I do. I rely heavily on mine. I <laughs> do. <laughs> no, I'm glad you explained that because that was going to be one of my questions is, okay, where are you finding this time and what does that look like? And it feels like it's just kind of random whenever you it can. Is. It right? is kind of random. It, and I think because I established that pattern a few years back, I realized that I need that time every day. So I'm able to find it. And usually you, you make time for what? what you prioritize and right um, what you value, and some days right? it doesn't happen right like it's not it's not a perfect um some days just certainly <laughs> yeah some days it doesn't happen but but I love that because we hear so many people say oh it's just one more thing I have to do it's overwhelming I don't have time how do you find the time but I, like you said if you want to you'll find the time if and it's it, a priority yeah, and you'll... it allows you that that opportunity to refocus and I feel like I'm more equipped to handle whatever comes and I'm able to use my time better after. So exactly. Oh, thank you. I love that. I love that. Doesn't everything doesn't have to be cookie cutter. It doesn't have to be at 6 a.m. every morning. (laughs) Maybe some people's personality that works. I think it does. I think I'm more like you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm more like the cookie cutter. (laughs) So, Anne, tell us a little bit about the role that humor has played in your family. Laughter, humor, fun, 
Um, because I, I just have a sense that there's some great comedians in your family. Yeah, there are. <laughs> just like in ours, right? Sometimes too comedic. But um, <laughs> yeah. it's funny because I think when Jeff married me, he thought he was getting a very organized type A personality. And I kind of surprised him. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't know if it was... I think it's easy to be structured when you're a college student and you're single and you're doing your own life. But kids kind of throw a twist in the mix and you have to multitask and I've kind of become a little bit more frenzied and frenetic and and disorganized but I do bring some fun yeah to the bunch. I'm thinking you you're, the, you're the one well I'm not the one just <laughs> fun too but um it's funny because I remember I think back on an experience just like three weeks after the twins were born when none of us were sleeping I had this harebrained idea to to get an RV and take our family on a on a trip for a few weeks I thought, we're not sleeping at home. We may as well take that. Be on the road. We may yeah. as well take it on the road. Yeah. So we took it on the road for three weeks. Fun. And uh, I look back at that, on that experience and I think, gosh, what the heck were we thinking? And I'm so impressed that Jeff went along for the ride. <laughs> um, he was incredible. But I, I look back on that experience and there was a lot of heart in that trip, right? Like we crammed. It wasn't that big. We crammed nine of us. Been our party of nine. In this <laughs> Love it. And it was chaos. Not many people slept. I was juggling twins with while I nursed them, you know, simultaneously with two other toddlers on the bed. It was chaos. But I think back on several small moments that were really pure magic. And I think that's, I don't think we have to create these RV trips in order to 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 carve out that magic. I think you can create it at night when it's so intense and everyone's screaming and wants dessert and doesn't want to eat dinner. I think you can take the level up a notch and turn on loud music and have a dance party. I think you can find that fun in every day. And I think you have to in order to deal with that. Laugh instead of cry, right? Because yeah. sometimes Absolutely. I cry plenty, but I also <laughs> feel like sometimes you have to laugh at the crazy and, yeah. and just add to it and embrace it. Um, so that's what I would say. Um, One of my favorite examples that you posted once probably about a year ago is when your twins got into the desitin and then into the baby powder yes. I have never like laughed, hard and laughed so hard because I just brought back I'm sure so, many so, many <laughs> yeah, so many memories so many memories again all you can yeah. do is laugh right yes, yes. it sounds like a lot of the, the fun that you're describing is just very spontaneous yeah right it's not really planned necessarily Although that could, there's a place for that. But. Yeah, for sure. I think I could probably stand to add a little bit more structure into our days to, uh, for lots of reasons. But I do think there's a really sweet thing about embracing the fun and embracing the, the spontaneous and the moments where your kids see a fun side of you instead of the drill sergeant. Yeah. So, anyway. Yes. So true. Love it. Okay, and through all the fun and the crazy and the chaotic and the, you know, big family, you guys have really been through some hard challenges in your marriage and in your life. And you mentioned your son, Sam, was born with some severe health issues that you mentioned that you had been diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to let you talk about that for a little while. We'd love to hear how you deal with it, how you get through the day, how you can keep hope and faith in the Savior, how you... Where your strength has come from. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Anything yeah. you want to tell us about that? I, I think there's so many people that could really be encouraged by your expertise in this mm. area, what you've been through, what oh, you've thanks. gone through. Yeah. So inspiring. No, it's interesting because I feel like God, through a series of trials, has prepared me for the next trial mm. in very unique ways. Like I, I felt compelled to become a nurse. And, and then shortly after that was taken from the nursing profession to help my son Sam, who was born with 
with a lung disease and some other health challenges. And that was a huge blessing. Um, I, his disease itself is a very progressive disease. It's incurable and he'll continue to get progressively worse and his lungs will scar over. He requires a couple hours of treatment a day. And even in his first two years of life, he, he had to be on oxygen all the time mm. and it was in and out of the hospital. And we learned a lot of valuable lessons during that time. And so, so many opportunities to see other people with eyes of empathy because of the experiences we were having with him. It, it allowed us to slow down and really forced us to slow down actually to, we had to pound his little baby chest every night and every morning and every afternoon and really created sacred space with that little baby and Mm -hmm. and helped us realize that each one of our kids needed that sacred space with us. Um, Another thing that it did was uh, I felt like understanding the nature of a progressive disease created a softer landing ground for when I was then diagnosed with cancer several years later. So fast forward, you know, a few years when I, we had just had twins, the twins were a year old um, I was having some health challenges and had in the previous years leading up to it, but I, I decided to finally address them. And so I went to my doctor who's actually in our stake and I, yeah. I said, um, I told him, you know, I had experienced all this fatigue and I had a lymph node that was kind of bugging me and, and I asked him to draw a blood panel. So, and, and nothing really came back. I thought maybe I had long COVID or mono or something. And so then I went, went about my business and a few, or the mother of, Seven or mother of seven children, <laughs> right. twins, right? It could just be hormones and that's, whatever. Just that's very. I much... know we walk around in the days half the time. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So anyway, I kind of went about my business and thought, well, I'll keep on keeping on. Yeah. And then um, I was laying in bed one night, and I had an impression to look at my screensaver, um, and I showed Jeff. I said, Jeff, this lymph node was there a year ago, and I went back into the doctor and I said, hey, I know you didn't think this was an area of concern for me, but maybe we should explore it a little bit more. So we had a um, a series of tests and I was trying to get in for a, a biopsy, a tissue biopsy. Um, actually, I think it was just a needle biopsy at that yeah. point and they couldn't fit me in. And we were headed to Europe, which was rare for us. Jeff had a an assignment there in in Germany and we were taking our two oldest skiing. It was a rare experience for us, an opportunity, and I didn't want to miss it. But I also wanted my heart and mind to be allayed of the fears that that were weighing on it. And I talked to a radiologist who was a friend and he said, oh, you're fine. Just go and have fun. We'll we'll fit you in later. And he said, it's never cancer. It's for sure not cancer. So I had the trip of a lifetime. It was so beautiful with Jeff and with my kids and, um, and actually just a really tender time for me personally traveling across the world and, and seeing new cultures. And yes. anyway, I feel like it prepared me for what was coming and came home, had that biopsy, had a CT scan, uh, a neck dissection where they, they took out a series of lymph nodes and then a PET scan. And it revealed that I had stage three non-Hodgkin's follicular lymphoma, wow. which for a mom of seven kids and, <laughs> you know, twins, baby twins that are overwhelming at times, I thought, I was devastated. It was, it felt like our world was, was crushing down on us. Yes. But I had been prepared to receive a diagnosis like that because it's, it's a unique one. It's, I didn't start chemo treatments immediately. It's kind of a long haul cancer with no cure at this point, Mm. but the treatments are fairly effective. So I just, I'm in a watch and wait period where you go in every three months and have blood draws and scans when necessary and clinical exams and I'm just very vigilant about 
about things uh, and alert my doctor if something goes wrong. And, and I'm assuming I'll start chemo sooner than later, given the stage that I'm at. Mm. Um, but when they when they gave me the the treatment of watch and wait, it felt like a very passive approach. And I, I'm kind of a woman of action in some ways. And right. It, yeah, it was hard for me to take. But but I realized there were some really powerful things I could do in the waiting. Um, I mm. could prepare my heart and mind to eventually need treatment. I could focus on my spiritual health, on my mental health, on my physical health and, and start eating better and um, maybe gaining more strength through different physical exercise mm. and, and really getting my family in a place where when I do start treatment, I can... I can be equipped to handle that. Right. But, um, so anyway, that that's a little bit of my cancer journey. And I've, I've actually learned to be incredibly grateful for this, this challenge and this trial in our lives because it's, it's not the immediate, you know, really hard cancer treatment that I'm undergoing right now because I'm not. But I, it's given me a lens with which I can view my life through totally new eternal perspective. And it's allowed me to understand that mortality is is not a given. That that it's that's kind of at the forefront of my mind, right? Like yeah. there are some faster growing cells in there, and we don't know what they'll do. They could enter the bone marrow at any point, and I might need a transplant. And um, but I've recognized that life is fragile, and that I need to take advantage of those small moments with my kids, and really recognize the beauty of of the here and now. And none of us really know what our mortal journey will bring or when it will end, right? And every day is a gift. Yeah, every day is a gift. And I see it as a gift. My prior to this, cancer and um and actually my son's diagnosis, a similar one, cystic fibrosis, were always like my greatest fears. And now I see this, both of these, they've become my greatest teachers. And I'm so beyond grateful for a loving, all knowing father in heaven who knows what we need. Not that he caused any of this to happen, but perhaps that he allowed it um, for me and for my family to really create an opportunity for us to be molded into the beings that that he knows we could become. So, so Anne, you talked about that those were your biggest fears. So when you when both of those came true, when you had a son with lung disease, and when you found out you had cancer, how did you respond to that, knowing that those were your biggest fears? That's an interesting question. I know I, that probably didn't switch overnight, your mm-hmm. eternal perspective. No, so it didn't. how did that? For sure. Evolve? Again, I, I would say it was bit by bit that mm-hmm. line upon line, precept upon precept, I was able to wrap my head around around just the idea that um, mortality is a journey and that it could end at any, any moment. I think I was able to utilize prayer in a way that I hadn't before. And I was able to, you know, meditate adopt some other practices that helped me calm my heart and mind in those moments when I was really fearful and allowed me to communicate with a heavenly father and make that feel more like a connection instead of just an abstract idea. Mm. Um, so I would say, love yeah, that. I think that's great. I love that. And my thought is this, I always, I always believe that life boils down to what you focus on. And I think that's why the, the first commandment is to love God and all of our heart, mind, mind exactly. and strength, right? Yeah. But life is what you choose to focus on, and I love what your focus is through all of this. You know, you've you've chosen to focus on all the good things that that can come from it. I know that not everyone does, and that there can be a lot of anxiety that accompanies, you know, these kind of challenges. Uh, you know, illness, cancer, 
a child that's that has a, a, a disease that's tough like that. So, so how do you deal, or how have you dealt with the anxiety personally that that can accompany all these type of things? It's funny because I I feel like I have a few things that that ground me, and one of those is I make sure that I haul my kids to the the gym at the basketball you know, a basketball gym around town and play basketball a few mornings a week with some women who have become more like family. So I, I feel like I keep routines and structures that, that bring me joy and that, that allow me to get my endorphins for the day and allow right. me to refocus and realize that, like, kind of bring me to the here and now and realize that I'm still here. There's still so much to live for. And why not live in the present? Why not live with with those eyes, but also recognizing that who knows? I could die of something totally different. So why, why live in fear? We could all die the time? before you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I might turf it on my skateboard on the way home. On the way home. On the way yeah. home. Totally. Um, but I guess I've I've been able to see see that more clearly that that life is worth living. You don't know what the next day is going to bring, and and just staying in those routines that you know bring you happiness. Those those spiritual patterns and those physical patterns that that bring you happiness just stick to those and i feel like line upon line you're given glimpses into to ways that you can make it to the next day so and those practices it feels like certainly ground you and give you perspective and and anyway that's i think that's awesome it yeah is. but at times I, it's not always roses right like there's moments where i look at my babies and i think what if i what if I don't see all the milestones in their life that I want to see? What if I, you know, what if Sam doesn't make it on a mission? What if, what if he needs a transplant when he's 20 and he doesn't, isn't healthy enough to, you know, fulfill all the dreams that we have for him? I'm hoping that that's not the case, mm-hmm. but, but I guess through these progressive diseases, I've seen that you can live a beautiful life even amidst the trial, even amidst the suffering. Yeah. That even though his life is going to be a little harder, it's so beautiful. And there's so much to learn in the suffering, and the, as is there is with me in this cancer diagnosis. So mm. finding the beauty in the heart, I guess. I, I love that. What a great perspective. So, Anne, I wish I was as wise as you are at your no, age when I, <laughs> when I have all my kids at home and, and all that. But... So I want to ask you, what are your best mom hacks? What are your mom hacks for raising, maybe for young families just starting out, for families that are in the thick of it, that have all their children home? You know, how do you, what are your best hacks for dealing with life, for teaching your children, whatever you want to share? Give us your best. Perfect. (laughs) I feel like most days we're we're swimming upstream without a paddle. (laughs) So any mom hacks I can, I can implement. Help. At least your boat's floating there, right? That's good. Well, most days. Sometimes there's a little hole that flips in. And our boat is a 92, and so we've been known to sink a 92. Yeah. But, um, but I would say even just little practical hacks right now, duct tape is our friend. We, we, we love duct tape diapers. around here. We don't duct tape mouths, but we duct tape diapers. Oh, and yeah. that has saved us some mess, mess cleanup. Love it. Uh, we, we zip tie our crib tents, mm. which has been helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay. We it's, like that. It keeps them safe. It sounds barbaric, but it keeps them safe. No, with twins, twins are a whole it's different. It's a whole new ballgame. Yes. whole new yeah. ballgame. Yep. Yes. And they Absolutely. work together like like two tandem criminals, right? Like <laughs> one, one will think of something. Yeah. And then, 
the other finishes. One one kind of you know keeps you occupied with others sneaking exactly. behind and blowing things up. It's amazing, and they empower each other. It's like yes, they don't roam on their own. When yeah. they have a little buddy, they can go anywhere. Oh, they're my amazing. neighbor said that the other day. I didn't know this happened, but she found Mac. Up the street with a in his diaper with a Windex bottle. He loves cleaning. <laughs> and he was going to clean neighbors' windows. <laughs> Eleanor was so a, was toddling up behind him. Oh, that's so. We had awesome. a friend with twins, and they had to change all the doorknobs backwards, backwards so that you could then lock sure. them in. I mean, again, yes. for their own safety. It is. It's, it's, it's their people own look safety. at you like what? But you're trying to protect them. <laughs> Most nights, I just pray that they make it to five. That I yeah. can make it that five. But oh, they're adorable. Yeah. No. So those are some practical things. But I love this question because I feel like there's so much to be learned from every stage and it's important not to wish away a stage I mean even Mm. in the thick of it right now I I don't want to wish this away like the chaos in my home I have all my kids under one roof Mm. and their their trials and their heartaches seem manageable and I'm really savoring that time but when I think back to when I was early married I think about establishing healthy routines and going back to those things that brought you joy in your in your courtship and maybe making Mm. time for ways to be active and intersecting in each other's worlds. I think it's so easy once you're married just to live these independent lives kind of parallel to each other. But if you can find ways to strengthen your relationship in those early years when kids haven't come and you can still enjoy time together, I think I think that's really important. I would also say lean into your strengths, whether that's in, in marriage um, with your spouse or in young motherhood. I remember just feeling so insecure and and in areas that I was insecure, I would reach out to a bunch of other moms in grad school. And I remember a dear friend of mine taught me a trick about the eat, eat, awake, sleep pattern. Mm. Um, Just that the babies eat, then you have playtime with them and then you put them to sleep and you don't need to sue them to sleep. You put them to sleep awake. And that was actually really helpful. And I, I feel like I became a baby whisperer with sleep because because of that friend who helped me understand that mm. uh, that pattern. And I, I had good sleepers, and I think that saved me through those baby years. Um, but also I would, I would say, like, in those routines and in those patterns, not to get too regimented, right? Like, mm. I look back, and, and we had so much fun with those little babies. We took them to movies. We, you know, we still lived our lives and... And enjoyed the same things that we enjoyed before babies came. That's great. So that would be my advice for those early years. Um, and also to to glean from other people. I, I touched upon that a little bit. But just to eliminate the mom guilt and comparison. And recognize that every mother has their strength and a different way of approaching life. And so we lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I think of so many dear Dear women, whether they had children or not, at various phases of their lives. And they taught me so much about myself, about what I wanted for my family, about what I wanted for myself as a mother and even in my profession. And and taught me so much about how to approach my kids in in any given situation. So I would say quit the comparison, but, but glean from those around you who are strong mothers and who you respect and admire. Love that. Yeah. Do you have any mom hacks specifically for parents raising teenagers right now or any advice that you would give? Yeah, I've actually been thinking a lot about this mainly because I'm just entering those years and I'm learning uh, through my mistakes. But one of the things I've been thinking about recently is that scriptural, ha- like spiritual habits, like scripture study and uh, journaling, whatever it is, you know, religious rituals, they provide a framework whereby we can come closer to Christ. 
But sometimes I think as parents, we view those as, as boxes to check. And I had an experience the other morning with my Elizabeth, who's my oldest child and kind of the guinea pig. <laughs> but we were riding to school and went, you know, roundabout way to drop the elementary school kids off and then to the high school. And the lines were long and we had more time in the car than I thought we had. But so I tried to capitalize on that and and share a scriptural thought that I've been thinking about that morning. And and we discussed Come Follow Me. And and I just felt like it felt it fell flat with her. And as I left, she left, you know, that morning and I said goodbye and I love you. I could, I could just sense that there was like some tension and, and there wasn't really the spirit within that conversation. And mm. I thought about it and I thought, what led up to that? And, and what led up to that was a lot of, of criticizing and finding fault um, on my part. And I thought more than anything, these interactions that we have with our kids need to be based on a foundation of love and we need to come at it with a foundation of love and meet them where they're at and um, let them know the good things that we love about them on a regular basis. I think there's like a ratio of five to one. You could probably tell me this. Yes, five to one ratio of positive to negative interactions. John Gottman. Which is harder with teenagers than I thought it would be. Yes. But I think it's so important. I always tell parents if we could just do, you know, one to two or two <laughs> to one, better, right? right? Yeah. But as I think about the disconnect sometimes with parents and <clears throat> teens, I think that's it is that it's so easy to find the fault, but they're not going to receive any, any feedback or any critique or any, even any spiritual nugget. If there's not that foundation of, of feeling like they're loved, like they're even liked mm-hmm. or like they have someone that's in their corner. So mm-hmm. that yes. was kind of a, a, a prick by the spirit where my heart was changed and I knew I needed to approach that differently. Oh, that's so profound. Love mm-hmm. that. And now that I think about our own phase of life in the thick of, you know, dealing with teenagers with emotional needs and toddlers who are zapping me of every ounce of physical strength that I have, <laughs> I think of um, one piece of advice I would give is just to lower expectations. And I know that yeah. sounds bad. But I would say lower expectations in recognizing that perfection is not attainable without our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think that's the thing that I've learned over the last three years is that who knows how long I've had this cancer, probably seven years or so based on the stage it's at. But I look back and I realize that I could not have done or do what I am doing day to day without the help of my Savior, Jesus Christ. So I would say maybe set more realistic expectations given the stage that you're at, but but more importantly, involve the Savior in in the journey, in every day of your life. Um, in those quiet moments, involve Him in those and help Him create something powerful for you. In the happy moments, in the really hard moments, in all that life offers, involve the Savior in that process. I feel like during those hard times when um, I was at the end of my rope and didn't know if I could make it another second with these crazy kids. I really turned to my savior and allowed him to strengthen me and to make me equal to whatever I was facing. So I look, I remember back to the time during COVID when, um, when I, I was really overwhelmed and I, I thought I could really use a dose of the temple in my life. I could really mm-hmm. attend the temple and feel that peace in, in it, within those walls. But then I went back to those grounding rituals of scripture study and prayer and journal writing and expressing my testimony to my kids. And I felt like I invited the spirit 
of the house of the Lord within the walls of my own home, which is ideally what we do when we go to the temple, right? Is is go there to feel separate from the world, but but in hopes that we can then bring that to our homes. And so I would say partnering with the Savior is my biggest piece of takeaway advice is that we can't do it alone and we need the strengthening and enabling power of, of the atonement. And that uh, that power just can flow right through us through those covenants. I know that for sure. Thank you, Anne. That was so profound. And I, I learned a lot and just really admire you and for many, many reasons. But the great mother that you are, all that you've been through, your faith, your focus on the Savior, I just really appreciate your feelings of respect for me. Well, today we always end with an LDS. Let's do something. And so we thought we'd throw it back to you this week and say, what is something that we can all do? I love this. There's always action steps, right? Yes. That we can take away. Um, last night during our pillow talk, Jeff and I were discussing how our kids will have a desire to find joy that we have if we emanate that joy. They'll have a desire to attend church if we find peace from church. They'll have a desire to serve others and minister to the needs of those around them if we see how that blesses our lives in unique ways. And they'll have a desire to keep the commandments if they see that that brings us eternal happiness. Uh, There's a quote that I recently came across, and I don't know that it's necessarily by Viktor Frankl, but I think it's attributed to him. And the quote is, between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space lies our freedom and our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our happiness. So essentially, we're the product of our decisions and how we react determines who we're going to become. And so I guess my takeaway for myself in thinking about how I want to change as a parent is to embrace the pause more often. So when I think about my own calling or when I think about my husband's calling or when I think about the expectations of of our religion or our faith or when I think about my responsibilities as a parent, how am I reacting to those those responsibilities and how am I seeing them as a blessing in my life instead of um, instead of something that's just a have to? Um, are my children seeing the joy that the gospel per- can provide in my life? Um, so I guess, and it can pertain to also discipline. Like if I immediately react to to something that my child does, wouldn't I be far better off if I took a second to pause and pray for a better response to respond like perhaps our heavenly parents would respond in a given situation. So that's my challenge to myself and to those out there is embrace the pause and choose to choose to react in the way that that you feel directed by the spirit. I love that. I'm sure we both love that, right? Yes. <laughs> you know that you know once again kind of the idea that it it all comes down to what you choose to focus on, but also to show that the gospel actually works, right? And then it does bring great joy and happiness to us. Mm, love that. Well, Anne, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been awesome, and we're so grateful that you would come over and, and be part of this with us. Any chance I can get time to spend with Janie and Mark, I'm in. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Well, so we, are, we are in, too. So we'll bring Jeff over next time. Right? <laughs> he can defend himself. <laughs> yes. Well, everyone, thank you so much for being with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. So until then, have a wonderful week. <laughs>